Welcome to Debating Metal. My name is Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal. My co-host is Chris Kay, and once again, we're joined by my best friend, Matt. In the history of hard rock and heavy metal, there are a few years that stand out as extremely important years. 1980, 1982, and 1986 come to mind right away. But 1991 was arguably one of the best years for hard rock and heavy metal from a purely music standpoint. Many household names released new albums that year, but it also saw the premiere of many bands that would go on to become household names. A lot was going on in 1991. Though the metal world was about to implode with the arrival of grunge, a number of amazing albums came out this year, including some of the bands that we're going to discuss best albums. We're going to discuss some of the amazing highs of 1991. And you'll also want to stick around to the end of the episode as we give you our big four albums of 1991. So sit back, relax, turn it up to 11, and let the debate begin. 1991. Matt, you got anything you want to say? How can we not crack open a cool one like we used to on this episode? Because they're all warm now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. 1991. Where was I? That was my senior year of high school. So if you go back, all the memories that evoke of you in high school, this was the soundtrack of my senior year. Um, I was a metalhead rolling around in a school of not many metalheads. It was a big year for music. I brought in a lot of stuff. I had to find a lot of my own music to listen to. It was a great year. I had a great time doing it. My cassette, my mixtapes were always full with all sorts of new stuff. It was just a very exciting year for music. Yes, it was very exciting. That was my first year. I started in October, I believe, of 91 at the music store at Specs in in Florida. I know. I was shoplifting there. (laughs) I believe I started uh, pre-K that year. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) all righty then well there you go all right so 1991 as far as hard rock and heavy metal was concerned it was it was a banner year and some of the things that happened so before we get into the albums let me let me mention some notable events that happened that year um poison fires cc deville after a disastrous performance on the mtv video music awards um, Bohemian Rhapsody from Queen became the first song to go number one in the UK twice with the same exact version. Uh, there wasn't a live version. There wasn't an alternate remix or anything like that. It was the same version, you know, probably what we're talking uh, almost well, 18 years apart. So that's pretty interesting. Um, ACDC, Metallica, The Black Crows, and Pantera perform at Toshino Airfield in Russia as um, the... Soviet Union began to fail. Um, Metallica, excuse me, Metallica's Black Album debuts at number one on the Billboard album charts and stays at number one for four consecutive weeks, making it one of the longest reigning number one albums in the SoundScan era. Guns N' Roses released Use Illusion 1 and 2 on the same day. They, de- they also debuted at 1 and 2 on Billboard's Hot, uh, Hot 200 album charts. Skid Row's Slave to the Grind debuts at number one on the Billboard album chart, making it the first heavy metal album to do so. And then some of the notable things that that you don't want to really think about too much, Steve Clark passed away on January 8th, uh, Steve Clark from Def Leppard. On the same day, November 24th, Freddie Mercury and Eric Carr passed away. Um, Freddie from complications due to AIDS and Eric Carr complications due to a, uh, believe it was um, cancer in his brain. And also in 1991, the singer from Mayhem 
I uh, believe you pronounce this Per Engve Olin, better, yes. better known as Dead, kills himself, setting off the era of true Norwegian black metal and the notoriety it brought, which included church burnings and finally ending with the murder of Mayhem founder and guitarist Euronymous in 1993. So that was a, an interesting year in terms of some notable events that happened throughout the year. And um, we mentioned in the in the intro that there was some new bands that became household names. If you want to think about it um, this way, bands like Clutch, Down, Machine Head, Jackal, Cradle of Filth, and Rage Against the Machine all formed in 1991. So that was uh, some interesting stuff there as well. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a few of those I, I didn't realize had started that far back. Yeah, I mean, Rage Against the Machine, funny, they started in 91, but they had an album deal in 92, I believe. Um, when did when did the first Rage album get released? I think it was 92, or was it 94? 93, maybe. Even. Okay, yeah. I remember getting Rage Against the Machine as a promo when I was working at Spec, so yeah, it had to have been 93. Okay. I saw them play a rave, believe it or not, in Miami, where they went on at 3 o'clock in the morning opening for Front 242. And that was my first time getting to watch Rage Against Machine live. Interesting. Very cool show. So so it was actually November 1992, so right at the end of the year. Yeah, there you yeah. go. So, okay. So, yeah, so then, you know, a promo sitting around in 93 makes sense. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, all right, so we're going to talk about some albums that, that came out this year. Um, Matt, why don't you go ahead and pick an album that you uh, you think is notable from 1991? Um, I'll start it off easy. We're going to go Slave to the Grind. Slave right. the Grind came out in 1991, recorded at New River Studios in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. That's right. I forgot How about that. How do I know that? I used to skip school and go hang out at that studio. <laughs> <laughs> so I was there during the recording of it. It was a great time, great memories of it, great album. Um, did not need two different versions of it. They had the Get the Fuck Out version, which was great marketing to get everybody to go out and buy it because they could put the sticker on it. But just the sound on it, they just took themselves up to a whole new level. I, I thought so too. I mean, it was very curious the whole uh, two different versions of the album, one with "Get the Fuck Out" and one without it. Um, the other song, what was the name of the other song that was on there? Um, was it "Creep Show"? No, but whatever the song was, it it was a really cool song. It actually, bad. it wasn't a bad song. So, um, you're talking about "Beggar's Day." There you are. Yes, yes, "Beggar's Day." It wasn't that bad of a song. No, it's not bad. Uh, you know. It just replaced one song to make it a clean version. I mean, I remember there was a time period when there were there were clean versions and and uh, explicit versions of albums, mostly around the time that I was in middle school, high school. It was a thing that in order to sell in certain stores, they had to have a clean version available. Yeah, and and in a lot of cases, they were they were just you know. There weren't such songs like "Get the Fuck Out" that were blatantly like you can't really replace words. <laughs> with. Yeah, so they were able to bleep stuff out and and, and things like that, but uh, to make it clean. But yeah, that one was kind of hard to do. So it's either leave the song off, which they did, and it was surprised that they replaced it with another song. They should, in most cases, they would have just left the song off, sort of like uh, "Ode to Tipper Gore" from Warrant. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This was uh, my favorite. Skid Row album. I mean, they they really only had three with with Sebastian. Um, 
but this was this was a huge step up from the first album and and we mentioned when we did our episode um of uh worst to first for motley Crue. you know we did our our big four and i mentioned that the first album was glam well this one really wasn't a glam album at all this was heavy metal hard rock a huge step up but still sounded like the same band Oh yeah, I, I I really like. I mean, Monkey Business is. I mean, I st- awesome. still jam that song to this day. Slave to the Grind was a good uh, was a good song. I mean, I like um, in a darkened room. I think that's a really cool song. Oh, excellent! Quicksand Jesus. Quicksand Jesus. Yeah. yeah, they had some really good songs in that album. Um, they get the fuck out was awesome too. I mean, yeah, yeah, that was a good song. I mean, for a lead single too. I mean, Monkey Business. That song comes on the radio. You're cranking it. We all turn it mm-hmm. up at the same exact time. I don't care where you're at. I mean, we all turn it. It's a jam. The sound on it, I mean, it's going to take out your speakers. Oh, yeah. It's awesome song. All right. Uh, I mean, it's too bad with that much momentum that, you know, they just really dissolved after that. Well, I mean, their next I album. Mean, I, mm-hmm, go ahead. I, I like Subhuman Race. I don't think it's a good album, but I, I still enjoy it to some degree. Kenneth bought four but, copies of it. Yeah, that's true. What was that? Kenneth bought four copies of it. I'm looking at them. Of Slaves to the Grind? Subhuman Race. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I, for, for what it's worth, I do have... It's um, actually Quicksand Jesus. I have, two, I have two versions. I have two copies of, of um, Slaves to the Grind. I have the clean and the dirty, and then I ended up buying the vinyl um, when it came out on a record store day two years ago. So Cool. That it, is, it is very... I'll show it to you later. It's pretty cool. Um, all right. So, what do you got, Chris? Um, well, I mean, why don't we talk about the uh, one of the big ones? And we've mentioned it before in a previous episode. Guns N' Roses released two albums this year. And they're huge. Um, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, released on the same day. Uh, both have gone seven times platinum since they came out. Um, both took, you said, the number one and two spot at the top. I believe... Um, Use your illusion, use your illusion two. two was yeah. was one, and then use your illusion was number two. That's massive for a band to be able to do that. That so, what I remember from that release, I was actually working at the store at that time. I was uh, a few months in, basically, or maybe a, yeah, it was. Um, no, wait a second. I'm sorry. I didn't start in October of 91. I started in October of 90. So I spent the entire year of 91 at the store. So when Use Your Illusion came out, um, we had a big release for the Metallica album, but but we didn't have a midnight release or midnight sale. Guns N' Roses was the first midnight sale that I was a part of. And that was insane because you know we got our, our shipment of, of CDs and it was just like, Two of everything, literally. So, you know, if you normally would get, uh, uh, let's say, five boxes or five lot boxes of, in, from Geffen, those were 30 pieces. So you're getting 150 CDs. You got, we got 300. We got 150 of one and 150 of two. And it was just insane. Everybody, I mean, not everybody, but I would say a good 95% of the crowd that was there that night bought both albums. And it was quite insane. I mean, we had people in the store lined up all the way along the back. And it was a pretty big store. And then people outside the building just wrapping around to the back. It was just nuts. And at midnight, you know, we the store usually stayed open till midnight. So what we ended up doing was uh, 
closing about 10 minutes early so that we can get everybody out and then have these people come in and line up. At, so as soon as midnight hit, boom, it was uh, it was on. And it was just pretty nuts. Great times. I mean, I remember that album coming out. I wasn't old enough to go buy it. I couldn't leave the house to go to a midnight release. So, I, you know, I called a friend of a friend. And, you know, 1230 in the morning, here comes my two copies of The Use Your Illusion dropped off my front door. I well, Weren't you to- sleeping? I was waiting on my use your illusions. It's like Christmas. Exactly. So what's what's interesting is there there are essentially two albums in at this point. I, I guess two or three because you, it's two albums released back at the same time. But you, you take the first album, which is pretty much strictly a hard rock album. And then this one is their next release and has elements of blues, punk you know, old rock and roll, some country kind of style stuff. It's such a massive change for a band that's that early on in their career to, to, to kind of go down a very different path. Guns N' Roses was able to, I guess they, they made that crossover appeal when they did lies because they, they were able to do those four acoustic songs. And in actually in reality, um, they released you're crazy in a pure acoustic form as a, as a B-side to, I believe it was Welcome to the Jungle or Sweet Child of Mine. I can't remember what song it was. And it, when I say pure acoustic, it was they didn't curse on the song. Um, and it was just straight up guitars. I don't even think there was drums so much as it was like, like tapping on the guitars. And uh, it was played at a very slow pace. The version that's on lies was semi-electric it was it was a combination of electric and acoustic had drums and it was and they still did the cursing at the end or during the chorus um with uh yeah fucking crazy you know type of shit and so they already had that crossover appeal and to to do some of the stuff that they did on user illusion i mean they expanded that crossover appeal they went to like every genre yeah a pretty unique band in that regard oh absolutely um, I was going to bring up another album that actually came out the same day as Use Your Illusion was Ozzy Osbourne's No More Tears. Yeah, that got kind of left behind, didn't it? <laughs> but they asked Ozzy, you know, how can you release your album head to head against Guns N' Roses? He went, I'm Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not. <laughs> I mean, it's still a great album, but yeah, to, to release it against two Guns N' Roses records, it's kind of a mistake. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily a mistake. It's you know, one of the, it's one of those things where, you know, it's not like it was his choice. Record companies are the one that handle the dates of, of releases. You know, sometimes they might sit there and tell you, "Hey, by the way, you know, this album might be coming out this this day. Do you want to push this album back a week or something like that?" And sometimes the artist has input on that. Sometimes they just say, "No, oh, screw it. You know, it's going to come out. It's going to come out." I don't think that there was any expectation from from the Ozzy camp that it was going to be an album that was going to go to number one or anything like that. So, you know, it, it's just just put the album out. I mean, people are going to buy it regardless. It's Ozzy being Ozzy, exactly. It's true. The thing about the album is it it is one of those that showed that he could transition to a different not genre, but he could still manage to put out material that was it was going to be able to subsist in that time period. You know, you're looking at 1991 where like we mentioned grunge is about to come out. 
or it, I mean, it has, but it's about to really take the forefront. And No More Tears is a little bit different than the stuff he put out before, but it's it's able to still be a metal album and at the same time something that people can listen to even to this day and it's still kind of it's not as dated as the early material to the time period that it's in even though it's a it is still kind of like an early 90s album yeah i mean the album so i'm just looking it up here the album debuted at number seven so um use your illusion one and two yeah two so then there's there's five you know five four other albums that were in between from other artists that that they so that debuted at that same time, or they were already on the charts, one of the two. So it, it's yeah. you know as good of an album as it is because it has some great songs on there. Um, it it just it wasn't going to go to number one. It may have it may have debuted at five if, if it wasn't for the the other two albums. Yep. But it's still a great album. You can't take anything away from it. I mean that is a great great album from Ozzy. I mean it basically reestablished himself because. As good as um, "No Rest for the Wicked" is for a metalhead in in the general public, it, it there was something lost. It doesn't in have the, the crossover. Yeah, appeal, it doesn't yeah. have that crossover appeal. "Mama, I'm Coming Home" I mean, brought that album to another level. You know, uh, "No More Tears" to another level. He needed so, Lemmy. Oh yeah, what? He needed Lemmy. Oh, <laughs> I mean, he, and Lemmy wrote six songs for the album, but only four actually appeared on the album. There you go. All right. Um, so for me, um, I'm not going to talk about the obvious one just yet. Um, <laughs> for me, 19. 19- Let's get it over with. <laughs> okay, I mean, okay, that's fine. Metallica's Black Album comes out in 1991, August 12th, 1991, in the United States. Um, I was there for release day. Um, we did not do a midnight uh, special, but I mean, that thing was just flying off the shelves. And we had gotten a poster at the store that was like a calendar. You could peel off each day and it would tell you how many days. And I think it started at 45 days and you just peel off a day and you get, you know, 45 days until the Black Album. Or, and it wasn't even called the Black Album, until Metallica. And it had the scary guy picture on it. And it was, you know, 44 and then it went to 40 and then 30 and 10, you know. And it was so cool because I was there most of those days and I was the one peeling the sheets <laughs> every day, you know. So on my days off, no one did it. So when I came in, I would have to pull two, three, depending on what it was. But, I mean, look, 20, 16 times platinum in the United States, um, 20-something times platinum over all over the world. I mean, there's n- no doubt that that album had a tremendous impact, you know, worldwide uh, on their careers, on, you know, just about the world in general it was a really big big album for for a lot of different reasons i mean yeah you talk about crossover appeal uh you're taking a band that was a thrash metal band and and put them in the hard rock realm a little bit of southern rock and amazing production quality you know everybody's heard the black album if you haven't heard it and you're listening to this show i'm be amazed um, but yeah, it redefined what would persist as metal in the nineties, because obviously, like we mentioned several times before grunge was coming in and metal had to, the, the stuff that was going to continue on and sell was a different breed. And that's, that's kind of what Metallica set the template for, for the next few years. They did. They definitely did. I mean, Metallica the album itself is just, you know, when you talk about metal, uh, 
and it's just not just middle. I mean, because you, yeah, they're a thrash band, but like I said many, many times, they stopped being a thrash band a while back as a, as a complete band. They still had thrash elements, but this one is just such a crossover appeal that you know it it Sabatru heavy. Nothing else matters, and, and the unforgiven appeal to a different crowd. But they, you know, wherever I may room is such right in the middle of of. It's not a fast song, but it's not slow, but it's it's such a catchy song that you know that was the one that was kind of like the stopgap between unforgiven and nothing else matters. They they said, oh, we need to come up with something else that's that's pretty you know, rocking. Um, that's I mean, it's hard. It's it's. I know there's a lot of people out there that have negative stuff to say about that black album because of they were fans of Kill 'Em All and Ride the Lightning, but to see what that album did to their careers, I mean you can't take it you can't take anything away from it there. I remember when that album came out, I had heard Enter Sandman for the first time, blown away. I mean, blown away. The intro I thought was incredible. Um, the video I thought was kind of cool. I couldn't wait for the album. I got the album. It was everything I wanted. Um, there's really not much more to say about that album that hasn't already been said. Just don't play it again. <laughs> I I don't need to listen to it again, to be honest. If I hear one of the songs come up, that's cool. You know, I'm like, oh, you know, I like the song. But at this point, it's one of those, it's so played out, overplayed. You hear the songs at baseball games. You, you know, you, you hear the songs everywhere. And I'm just... Uh, I don't need to hear it again in my lifetime. <laughs> but you will. Maybe not in its entirety. Oh, no. We're playing it tomorrow in your office. I'm just going to have it pumped into your office all day long. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Chris, give us another one. Um, Let's talk about Death. You know, one of my favorite bands. Um, Death released Human this year uh, with a couple guys from Cynic, uh, Paul Masvidal and... Um, Sean Reinert, and it was kind of a departure from the previous albums because he had temporarily broken up the band uh, due to some issues in their European tour. At this point, extreme metal was not very well looked upon. A lot of people had uh, preconceived notions of bands like like Death, and you know just assumed they were evil, etc. There was a lot of kind of slanderous things said about these these kind of bands because people just didn't really understand it so being kind of in the forefront of this genre of music wasn't really easy so i have a lot of respect for what what he did and now there's a lot of death metal out there that people um enjoy consume every day and these were the guys that kind of created it so human was a huge album first real breakthrough for uh death with mtv airplay uh, it was. It's really cited as one of the the most influential death metal albums of the time. And while it's not as major, you know, on in the grand scope of things, like didn't sell hardly anything compared to the bands we just talked about. Um, it's still important in the like if you're a music fan, if you're a, a metal fan, it's still really important in the 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 scope of things. You know, the one thing you know, working at the record store. I would see these CDs all the time and I would flip through all these bands or just restocking shelves and I would get to come across Death. I would come across Cannibal Corpse and all these, you know, what what, what really should be known as the Florida death metal uh, scene. And I always wanted to listen to them 
but I never really took the time out. And then one day, I, f- I forgot how I came across one of one of Death's albums, and I and I listened to it, and I'm like, okay, I don't get this, but it's not bad. And because for me, I'm still at this point, I still haven't really listened to Sepultura to get really um, different kinds of vocals. I mean, the vocalists that I was used to at this point were people like James. Uh, I wasn't even into Exodus at that point. Um, so to, to hear people like um, uh, Steve Souza or uh, who was the guy who passed away? Paul Bailoff. Yeah, Paul Bailoff. Like that, that wasn't something that was relatively prevalent in my mind. So people like James Hetfield, uh, Joey Belladonna, you know, Tom Araya was probably one of the, the roughest singers that I could think of that I was listening to. You know, um, so when I when I hear the 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 vocals that that um, Chuck would put on these albums, it it was just it was foreign to me, and I really didn't get it until much later on when I right. opened up my mind to other bands, and and really the first one I and I keep bringing going back to it was was Sepultura because Max's vocals are so different from, you know. Uh, it's funny because it's a growl, but that's literally like his voice. <laughs> you know, there's not a lot. Yeah. <laughs> there's not a lot of like manipulation to it, you know? So it, it was just strange to me. So, so there was elements of the music that I really liked, you know, but there is definitely a very particular method or, or um, not even method, um, particular uh, recipe that Chuck created when he created his music and it's definitely spawned the entire scene for sure so um matt did you listen to to death at all death all right death human i have on cassette i bought out of the cutout bin at your record store for three (laughs) dollars and 99 cents that's more than i did i put it in my car drove home and got to the vocals and went what am i listening to (laughs) i've never gotten rid of that cassette i still have it to this day um Fast forward, what, how many years later, 30 years later, I find that album to be a hell of a lot more accessible today than it was in the past. Um, like you said, singers like Max. I mean, there's other thrash singers out there. You just kind of learn how to accept or grow into that style of music. Mm-hmm. And definitely you got to respect everything that Death did for the genre. I mean, they basically built it on their own. So cheers to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Something different that uh, it's always interesting is you have bands that are kind of at the forefront of something and they don't really get the recognition for what they did except for by the the people that are really either strong music fans or are musicians and that's that's always going to kind of be on the shoulders of death is like they they were the guys who kind of started things but a lot of people aren't going to know them mostly because chuck passed away so young um but also because sometimes it's just like that when you're you're a, a an inspiration for the other people in the genre kind of like diamond head you know right exactly yeah very similar i mean it's it's always in retrospect that you realize wow this was really really influential you know and, mm-hmm. it, and it's because a lot of these things when of course when you're making a genre you don't realize you're making a genre you don't realize you've created this this whole thing this movement you know uh you know, Black Sabbath didn't realize that they were creating a, a particular movement. They were just out there playing, you know, jazzy blues in a really heavy, you know, down tune format, you know. And 
yeah, then they would throw in a song like Changes, and it was like, what the hell? Why is, you know, because that's what they're used to, you know? They, yeah. they were okay with that, you know? Same thing, Led Zeppelin, you know, comes out with Led Zeppelin 1 and 2, these really, really hard rock albums, but it mixed into it. You have a song like Thank You, you know, you have a song like um, Days and Confused, which is a slow blues song, and then they, they just flip the script completely on you, and they come out with Led Zeppelin 3, and Side 2 is all acoustic, you know? It's like, what? You know, it, it's yeah. it's insane, but it was so accepted back then. You know, you didn't realize what what genius you were listening to back then because it was just like it kept getting better and better and better. It was just crazy to think about. And then different movements. You know, the new wave of British heavy metal starts in the late seventies, early eighties. You know, uh, you know the thrash movement. You know, Metallica didn't know they were starting a thrash movement. They were just pissed off kids out there, you know, hanging out. Let's play some metal. You know, they didn't know that all of a sudden they were going to be, you know, one of the most influential bands in the world. You're going to feel that way about Bullet Boys one day. No, I'm not. (laughs) 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 They've come and gone. Actually, what's funny about the Bullet Boys is, you know, after all these years, they finally made a lineup change. They've had so many lines. What do you but, mean? Because they got back together and they kicked the whole band out? Yeah, exactly. Mark Thorne's a prick. I mean, let's look, go back and look at all the people that have been in the Bullet Boys. You got Steven Adler on drums at Dude, one there point. There was 100 people in the band. And you had DJ sudden- Ashba in there. Jason Hook in there. I mean, come on. He's, and now- Chris Holmes? Chris Holmes, you're right. <laughs> but then you know, yeah. but then all of a sudden, they, you, they find themselves back to where they began with the same band. One man. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they fire you all again. Yep. yep. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so you guys got two albums each, so I'm going to pick my second album. And my album that I'm picking this time, uh, let's see, Armored Saint, Symbol of Salvation. Um, when I saw this album come out, I saw, I, I want to say I saw a cassette of it pass through my store at the time, and then I ended up getting a CD of it. Um. I was a big fan of Armored Saint, you know, 1983 or 84 or 84 when it came out with March of the Saint. Um, I, they kind of lost touch with me in the next couple of years because the albums weren't as strong. And then they basically fell off the map. Dave Pritchard passes away and they don't know what to do with themselves. So basically they, you know, between them and, and uh, the record company at, at Metal Blade, they because they already been at dropped by Chrysalis at this point. They said, Look, you know what? We're just gonna put out one last album and see where it goes from here. And they picked up uh their buddy Jeff, I can't remember his last name now off the top of my head. And he Duncan. Yes, Jeff Duncan. He he uh, filled in or replaced, whichever way you want to call it, Dave Pritchard. Um they put out an amazing, amazing album with Symbol of Salvation. I mean, I can I listen to side one all the time, and I I say side one because it's so good I got to put it back on again. I, don't, I there were some songs I didn't even know were on the album <laughs> at one point because it, I couldn't get past the, the first several songs, uh, which is a, a bad habit of mine. But uh, what do you guys think of that album, Matt? Um, I really didn't get into that album until about 2003 when Metal Blade re-released the three-disc set of that. It's a tremendous box set. I like to think a lot of the magic in that album came from Dave Jordan, who produced it. 
Um, Dave Jordan went on to do Alice in Chains, Jane's Addiction. I mean, they went out there and they got what they needed to do. They were in a bad situation because, you know, the guy passed away. They slapped in a new player and off they went. But tremendous album. Definitely a good one on your list, Dean. Yeah, it was, it was one of those things with, with Dave passing away. They, ha- they felt like they were going to waste what they put together without, you know, or if, if they didn't put it out. And, and truly they would have because it, it is a lot of amazing material and I can understand having that feeling of this is somebody that's been in your life all the time and if you don't put it out, it's, it's almost disrespectful towards them. So I'm really glad the album came out even though, you know, he would, uh, uh, John Bush would leave and go join Anthrax pretty soon after. This was, this was an album I'm so glad is around. It's so underrated. It's so overlooked. And if you haven't heard it, definitely pick it up and, and, or listen to it on streaming or whatever. Um, because it's, it's a great album. I mean, that the, the, the whole thing about that, it, it's as, as good as it is. It's, it's just like a blatant, um, it's hard. To, I can't even think of the word right now. But it's extremely sad that that album didn't get the traction that it deserved, and and really that's the reason why John Bush left. He's like, you know, we're gonna put this album out regardless of whether it hits or not. But the bottom line was it was so good, and for it not to do anything, and for it not to hit, or for it not to spark up their career again, it was a, a, a very disappointing time period and for john it came to the point where when they called and when anthrax called he's like i better take this job because you know armored saint's not doing it right now and so they put armored saint on on hold for a while and he joined anthrax to much success at first and then of course record companies got involved again and shit went sideways there (laughs) john bush has had some bad luck he has but he has made a, a quite the career for himself as a voice actor. <laughs> True. So, um, yeah. So anyway, um, next album. What do you got, Matt? Um, I'm going to go with one of my favorites from 91. Let's get this one going. Anthrax, Attack of the Killer Bees. I love it. It's a B-mix. It's a lot of trash sitting around. They put together on one disc and shipped it out. It's a fun one from start to finish. You've got... Oh, shit, what do we got on there? You got a cover of Milk, which you can't beat. Um, Bring the Noise. I mean, that's just a classic. That one flipped the genre on its ear a little bit. Um, tremendous album covers. You got Parasite from Kiss on there. What else? What do you think about it, Dean? I mean, the the album is weird because it's it's a compilation of stuff that they had already put out. Le Sex was already out. Yeah. Um, Parasite was already out. But then they basically redid versions of S.O.D. songs on there. There was like two. It was Milk. Um, Ode to Billy Milano. Chromatic Death yeah, is on there. Yeah, uh, Chromatic Death. And there was also the song from that they did from Discharge, I think, is on there. So, And then they did a really cool, uh, re- not even a remix, a re-recording of I'm the Man, which was more hip-hop-y mm-hmm. <laughs> than the original. Um, yeah, they, re- they officially released um, Bring the Noise on there. And... Um, then they they then they decided oh we're gonna do a power ballad just like you know poison and warrant and and Doc and and they put out the most anti ballad power ballad Dalib Nicky Fessin Dalib Nicky Fessin and she got hit by a truck that's all I'm gonna say all right 
<laughs> Joey, get me some tissue. <laughs> what do you think of that one, Chris? I mean, it's it's pretty cool. I I didn't even think about it when we were talking about this because yeah, it's a compilation album, but it's a it's a a really good one. Um, I I love hearing bands cover other bands because you get a, a a different take on things. Some some covers not so great, um, but I think everything that was done here is is in a lot of fun, and it just it's. It comes across like you, you can tell they're having a good time. Oh, and the other song that was really cool on this was "Starting Up a Posse." You talk about taking on the 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 uh, PMRC head on. That one is worse than the Ode to Tipper Gore. <laughs> 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 that one was really bad. So, um, what else? Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's talk about for unlawful carnal knowledge. Fuck. So, <laughs> yeah. So, Van Halen obviously reformed with uh, um, Sammy Hagar after Dave left the band. And their first album, 5150, uh, was very successful. Uh, this The second album they released with him, it was also pretty successful, OU812. But in my opinion, it was a huge step down. Um, you know, they went back to uh, not using any electronics or or what's what's the keyboards? term I'm looking for keyboards um it just it's not a great album i mean i I'm, a lot of people may disagree um but this album came out and i'm i'm a huge fan have always enjoyed it uh they're pretty much from beginning to end starting with pound cake you know it just it's a really fun really good album for unlawful carnal knowledge, to me, not to step on any toes was kind of a letdown. Um, I heard Pound Cake come out. I thought that was tremendous. I thought it was cool. Eddie catching crap for lifting from Paul Gilbert by doing the whole guitar pick on the drill True. thing. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was a great song. You had Runaround coming out. I thought that was a cool one. I heard the 316 instrumental on there, which I thought was great. But the rest of that album, I just thought was soft. I mean... You're, you're talking about soft albums. I mean, it's Van OU8, Halen. Well, you ate one too. Was soft. Yes. You know, this one at least had pound cake. At least had run around. You know, um, but but I like Judgment Day. Judgment Day is pretty good. Right now was the huge hit off of this album, and it's it's still it. Oh, but, it's on the radio all the time. Yeah, you can hear it, it, it in your still local resonates store. today with that with yeah. that song. Now the whole thing with the electric drill. I mean, was Eddie putting a pick on it? Because yeah. I know on the video he did it. He did the over the um, the pickup, which is basically where you got that that, drip, mm-hmm. that kind of sound. But I don't remember him doing the, the pick on the on the on the drill. I remember an interview where they asked Ed, "What are you doing stealing Paul Gilbert stuff?" <laughs> and he goes, "Everybody's stolen from me. Back off." <laughs> well, that's true. Hundred percent true. When this album came out, um, they I, I ended up buying a import single. I believe it was for Pound Cake, and on the bat on the B side, it was basically like an interview with Van Halen, and the four guys were like, you know, hello, this is Eddie, this is Alex, this is Michael, and this is Sammy, and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna do something really cool with that, and I took that snippet. And I put it on a tape machine for my answering machine. So when people called my house, you you know, it would be like, hello, this is Eddie, this is Alex, this is Sammy, this is Michael, and this is Dean. Please leave a message. 
and it, and wow. it was really cool for the longest time I had that on there and uh, you know the ex-wife didn't mind too much she wasn't the ex at the time but <laughs> um, you know the one thing I always joke about with this album is that this is the fuck album you know for unlawful carnal knowledge and that's the way I always referred to it except when I was talking to a customer face to face yeah <laughs> but um, I thought the album was good I, I definitely think it's a, it's a step up from OU812 um, but I, at that point, Van Halen was beginning to lose me just in general with, with the, as you said, softness. I mean, there was a lot of softness, but there was still, you know, I like pound cake and judgment day. Those are still good songs, but they, they definitely did begin to lose me a little bit on it, but Hey, you can't deny it. This album debuted at number one. So oh, absolutely. So f- moving on to, to, uh, now I'm going to pick, um, I got to say, this one album, I really, really enjoyed. I love the, the the marketing they did with this album. Um, and I'm talking about Tesla's Psychotic Supper. Uh, they they released uh, some marketing material that I got. They did a menu, like literally the, the kind of menu that when you go to like a, a IHOP or a Denny's, that's, that's uh, the plastic um, laminated menu. And this was folded in half, and when you it had the album cover on the front, and when you opened it, it had a list of the songs. Like each item, menu item was one of the songs, oh, that's and cool. the, the price was the time of the song. And it was really cool. I I have it somewhere still here in my house, um, and it was one of those things that was like, all right, this is pretty cool. Is does the album equal the coolness of of the of the marketing and? Tesla's Psychotic Supper is a very good album. To me, that is Tesla's best album after Mechanical Resonance because Mechanical Resonance, their debut album was awesome. But this one uh, is really, really good. I mean, songs like um, Edison's Medicine is on there. Um, let's see, what else? Hold on. What you got. Um... What you give. Yeah. So, I mean, the songs in this album are awesome. I mean, you're talking about changing the weather is a slow build to the to, to bring the album up to Edison's Medicine. But Edison's Medicine is so cool because I, I love how it changes. Um, the drum beat goes out of time uh, by a half step, but then it picks itself up again later on on the second ha- on the second part of the verse or at the end of the verse it goes off time and then it picks it up at the end of the chorus so it's really cool uh, don't de-rock me call it what you want and then what you give on that album it, that's my favorite Tesla song uh, I love that song it, it got a lot of meaning to me and how I feel about my wife and all that it's a really cool song so I, hands down I love this album Um, alright Psychotic Supper I think that's probably my favorite Tesla album like you said it's a very very solid album um, the singles on it, everything. Edison's Medicine started off strong. That came out of there, and that just hit you in the mouth. You knew it was coming. Great tour. I saw them. Shoot, who they open up for on that? Did you see them on the Psychotic Supper? Psychotic tour? Supper. They were headliner. I because I have the I have the tour book over here. I saw them, and I don't remember who they were with. It's probably I, I, a great show. It, I believe it was. It was a great show because I have it. I saw it. Um, I actually went with my ex sister in law to that show, um, but I don't remember who the opening act was. But I saw them at the Miami Arena. What about you, Chris? So I'm not as familiar with the album. I definitely know the songs like Edison's Medicine, um, What You Give, 
There's a few others that I, I'm familiar with, but uh, Tesla was one of those bands that I I just really didn't know a lot about until about two three years ago. Um, we went to uh, see them live, and even at that point, I had only heard a few songs. But it was a really awesome show, and it kind of changed my opinion of them. They're they're but they're still one band that I have not kind of gotten up on yet. Yeah, we we saw that right before the pandemic hit. Yeah, that was pretty cool. That was a good show. All right, let's see. So who we got next here? Um, just did Van Halen. All right, so Chris, what do you got? Or is it Matt's turn? It's Matt's turn. Next album for me, Soundgarden, Bad Motor Finger. <laughs> <laughs> Soundgarden's third album. Um, it was basically dropped before the grunge explosion. It was sitting there waiting to go. Um, you had Rusty Cage. You had Outshined. I think the production on it's great. I love the album. You know, Bad Motor Finger, for me, there was so much buildup throughout the year. Um, it, and I'll talk about another album that was kind of along with that buildup in, in a few minutes. But I kept hearing about Bad Motor Finger, and I kept hearing about Bad Motor Finger and this band Soundgarden out of Seattle. And I finally got my hands on the album, and I'm like, wow, this is one of the heaviest things. Like It's like a doomy, heavy, Black Sabbath kind of heavy Um you know, uh, Slaves and Bulldozers was just like sludge mm-hmm. heavy. It was like l- literally trying to swim through fudge. It's just so <laughs> hard and heavy. And, you know, but Rusty Cage was a killer song. Jesus Christ Pose was a killer song. Um, they're just such good stuff on this album. Um, and I was fortunate enough, and I don't know if you were at that show, but when Guns N' Roses came to Miami on New Year's Eve 1991, Soundgarden was the opening act and I was like here's my shot you know because I you know you never know if you're ever going to see bands again but when you say oh I want to see that band because I know they're going to be big right it was like Soundgarden's going to be big and they were after that but that was a really cool show great album Chris so being the metal fan that I was and knowing how grunge impacted metal I grew up a long time not even wanting to listen to any of these bands like this because um, I grew up you know a little bit later than you guys you guys kind of had it where they were all together you know you were seeing the, the, the acts when they were new they weren't as defined lines etc at that point so it's it was a different experience so it took me a long time to even pick up bands like Soundgarden, Nirvana um, etc that because I just had this preconceived notion that they killed metal and and so i know the songs like rusty cage i know some of the others um but again this is one that i've i've never spent a bunch of time on i'm not the biggest chris cornell fan i have a lot of respect for him um but his vocals are just some that i never really resonated with so i understand the impact of of bad motor finger i understand like how you know beloved the band is as a whole but it's just not really for me okay i mean i understand that. and that, that that's you know some something has to appeal to you for you to really enjoy it and i get that um you know for me it was, i was in the middle of it you know matt was in the middle of it exactly and it, it's funny because when you're in the middle of it you don't realize what bands like soundgarden allison chains and all the seattle bands what they were actually doing 
to you as a person who's in the middle of it, it is, uh, it's just something that you've, you're evolving with what's going on. You know, Soundgarden doesn't sound like Alice in Chains. Alice in Chains doesn't sound like Nirvana. Nirvana doesn't sound like Pearl Jam, but yet they're all lumped into the same exact category. And you're like, "Mm, you know, no, I don't, I, I don't, to me, there's there's some similarities. Don't the, you know there there is a lot of similarities in the style of, that they're playing. But what I think is more important in what became grunge was that it was anti all the things that were going on with glam, etc. Where it wasn't about looking a certain way and and looking like a sexy woman. <laughs> it was it was about whatever mood was going on it was it wasn't about um decadent solos it was about whatever kind of groove they that was in the music it was about expressing disdain for society and not every song was like that but that that's the difference and so these bands got all lumped in together grunge is is not necessarily a term that that these bands even like but the fact is, it it was coming up from the from the ground, and there was no way to say what these guys were exactly. They were just rock. They were they were somewhat metal at the time, and you as as people who who experienced it from the from the bottom up, you wouldn't say, oh, this is this is different than what I'm already listening to. It was just rock. Yeah, you're right in that regards. But at, at the same time, you, uh, there was such a groundswell for Soundgarden. There was such a groundswell mm-hmm. for um, for for Pearl Jam. There was yeah for the specific bands, but n- nobody was out there going, "Oh, I just I love grunge now." No, no, not at all. But you you did hear there was a Seattle scene thing going on. The yes. the one band that really did take everybody by surprise was Nirvana. There was no groundswell for Nirvana because mm-hmm. the album beforehand was just a, a clusterfuck of of different songs and, and noise really. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then all of a sudden you know you hear those. That, that strumming and all of a sudden I was like what the fuck did I just hear yeah. because that drum Dave Grohl slaps you in the face and then all of a sudden it slows down and you're watching this dude just kind of like zombie his way through a music <laughs> video you know and then he starts screaming at you and you're like what I mean you literally after four minutes of watching that video you're like what the fuck did I just watch something just happened exactly I was never a big Nirvana fan at all um I recently went to Seattle in the last couple of years and went to the Museum of Pop Culture. Um, if you get up there, I think it's on like the third floor. They actually have a full floor dedicated to Nirvana. And you're walking, but no, don't shake your head, Dean. You're walk- I, 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 I when you're walking Nirvana. around there, though, it has all of their stuff from back in the day, back when they were a local band. It had all their DIY stuff. You had their flyers everywhere. So you started to feel, all right, this is where the movement was at. You start seeing that they're playing beer shows for free beer with the Melvins opening up. Are you kidding me? You could sell that out anywhere right now. Well, if Kurt was alive, of course. But you started to get a feel of what was going on up there. Um, The Pearl Jam, it wasn't Pearl Jam, it was what, Green River at the time? Mm -hmm. It was just the scene up there. And like you said, it had a different sound. I don't know if it was the weather, the drugs they had up there, or what it was, but there was definitely something cooking in Seattle. <laughs> Something's cooking, all right. <laughs> it wasn't Queensryche. 
No. But I mean, yeah, you you can't deny and anyone. I mean, it's it's a diamond album. Nevermind is that big. Oh, and even now, it's it's got a resurgence because of the Batman movie. No, it, so there's absolutely nothing I, I want to I can say bad about Nevermind because it is a very good album. Um, I just never got the whole Kurt Cobain thing personally. Um, but never mind. I mean, there's a shitload of melody on that. It's got great harmonies. It's got great songwriting. I mean, Kurt Cobain put a lot of time and effort into those songs. Don't get me wrong, because I watched the the Nevermind documentary of the making of the album, and there was a crapload of of time and effort put in, especially you know between Kurt and Butch Vig, and it was just. It took everybody by surprise only because there was no buildup. I mean, it was just like, boom, put it on MTV, bam. What? <laughs> you know? I still have the world premiere on VHS. I happen to be recording like an alternative metal. I forget what it was on MTV, but it was Anthony Kiedis and Flea on a couch introducing their <laughs> new favorite song from their new favorite band, Here's Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit. I still have it. And next thing you know, it's the change of the entire scene. Yeah, it, it's simply that it was it was a moment in history where everything changed in music, you know, and it would change again many times over. But that was a turning point when that song came out. Okay, so along those lines, um, I'm going to jump this one because I I want to talk about since we're in the Seattle mode, I want to talk about Pearl Jam's ten. Um, that there was so much of a groundswell for that album and being at the music store you heard about this album i mean it wasn't selling in our store but you kept hearing somehow some way there somebody was mentioning pearl jam pearl jam and you know mtv played alive but no one was really getting it right away you know, and then they finally got it. And then, you know, even flow came out and it was actually a different version than what's on the album, but it wasn't until Jeremy hit that the album really just exploded. When I finally got the album and I'm listening to it, I kind of understood why there was such a groundswell because the album is like that too. You know, the album kind of, you know, it has this little, noise that it opens up with and it's hard to say it's not like an annoying noise it's like like a tinkering kind of noise and then these guitar riffs come in on that first song once and it's like this is a really cool song it's catchy and then it comes in with even flow catchy and you can't understand a damn thing the dude is saying but you're you're caught up in the fact that it's got this really <laughs> cool driving bass line throughout the whole song, and then they slow it down and they they give you a live, and then they bring another uh, upbeat song, then to hit you with black. I mean, it's just there's so much emotion in this album. I understand where the groundswell came from, you know, and then the album just kept, you know, it, once once Jeremy hit the single all of a sudden there's like everybody's buying this album everybody's coming into the store you know you have pearl jam pearl jam pearl jam pearl jam pearl jam nirvana pearl jam soundgarden pearl jam nirvana 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 pearl jam maybe so all of a sudden everybody is buying shit from seattle and you look 
okay, you know, I get it now because you have no choice but to listen to it. What did you think, Matt? Um, when the album came out, like I said before, I really liked the live when I first heard it. Um, everybody started talking about 10. Everybody started talking about it. I had a copy of it. I really didn't care for it, so I kind of put it on the shelf. And then as everybody started talking about it, you know, I'm looking around at the people who are telling me about it. I'm like, no, nah, you don't know what you're dealing with. So eventually the second album came out, Versus from Pearl Jam. I love that album. So I'm like, all right, let me go back and find 10 again. So I went back and listened to it. I'm like, all right, the first side's got singles. I'm good. I found side B. I think the second side of 10 is tremendous from oceans all the way through. I mean, you've got porch, you've got everything on there is a great second side. It's one of those albums where if you don't get it at first, you're going to get it at some point. You listen to it and you're like, oh, you know, because there is so much to, to grasp on there. The second the second side you're talking about, I believe, started with Jeremy. And it had Oceans and Porch and Garden and Deep. I mean, God, deep, deep is deep. It's really hard to kind of... <laughs> uh, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot going on lyrically in that. And then Release Me, that slow song, is really cool. Um, and it ends the same way it begins with the same kind of mm-hmm. tinkering noise it's it's a really interesting album and side one ends with jeremy oh side one ends with jeremy okay mm-hmm. so it opens up with oceans mm-hmm. okay so that is still i mean oceans is just it's a different kind of song it's same way you know it's like starting off the album again even you right. know it's just as a great intro for the whole side it's a complete side so Chris, you and I have talked about this before. Where, where bands back in the day of vinyl and and cassettes and stuff like that would make an album based on the two sides. You'd have the the story or whatever it is you you're trying to portray in one side, and you would start all over again on side two. And Pearl, yeah. since Pearl Jam is big on vinyl, they that's how they laid out this album, and it and it shows. You know, but Pearl Jam obviously everyone knows would go on to be you know huge. Uh, at the time when when the verses came out, that set the record for the most sales of an album in a single day, and then a single week. That was insane. I could not hold that CD long enough in my hand before someone else said, "You know, you have Pearl Jam, you have that new album, you have yep. the new album, you have the new album." And if you got it on the first day, you got it without the word verses on it that was your limited edition special release they didn't do it on purpose they did not they didn't have a name for the album and then they they named it verses and so the first i think uh 500,000 copies of it came out without the album title on it i got checked i have the promo copy yes i have the promo it shouldn't have a name on it all right cool so that's uh that's my seattle rant um do you have anything to add about that or you want to Go on to a new one, Chris. I, I never got Pearl Jam. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just one of those bands. Like I, there, there was a Mad TV skit a long time ago where it had um, Eddie Vedder and uh, Scott Stapp and uh, wow. the guy. For, I think it was The Calling was the name of the band. They're all singing together, and it was just a bunch of incomprehensible mess. And it's the funniest thing that I ever saw in that show. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of the thing like there's there's still the joke about the uh, you know 
what's the name of a road in Sweden? Oh, no, we know. And it's like, you know, I just never really got it. There's a couple songs that I can enjoy, like Even Flow, but uh, yeah, not my thing. All right. So what album do you got next? Um, you mentioned them earlier. Let's talk about Sepultura. Oh. Uh, Sepultura released Arise. It was really their their kind of breakthrough as a worldwide act. They had a couple albums before it, but um, just really never kind of branched out into the rest of the world until this album. It wouldn't be until later with Chaos AD where they would actually become you know, a, a household name, but this was the first one where not only was the production really good, uh, you know, Beneath the Remains was, was also very good, but this took it to another level. Um, they had songs like Arise, Dead Embryonic Cells, Under Siege, um, and it really elevated them. And it was cool to see a band that was from outside of the U.S. become, you know, kind of recognizable in the world. So, so Sepultura didn't go on my radar until Chaos AD. Um, As with most people. Right. So going back, I mean, I remember seeing the album cover for Rise and, and I was like, what is this? You know, you see these, the, the logo is made of little bones to make the S. Um, Arise is written in a very interesting font. And you see the, the, the cover and it's like, uh, I think that it's got the eyeball on it or something like that. Or um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's very scary for some people to see something like that and, and not know what it is, you're not going to jump all over and say, okay, what, what is this? You, you know, as a metalhead, you know, this is going to be something metal, <laughs> you know, but, um, it's, it's definitely, I mean, if you look at the album cover with the eyeball in the middle, it looks like there's a crab, you know, <laughs> there or something like that. It's just an odd looking thing, but you know, it's not going to be, um, it's not going to be kiss. Okay, it's not going to be Pearl Jam. It, you know it's going to be pretty harsh and extreme. It's not like it up. <laughs> it's not like it up. But, you know, going back and listening to it now and, and becoming a fan of the album, it's it's an awesome album. I mean, this just, you know, Arise, Dead Embryonic Cells, Desperate Cry, Under Siege. I mean, it's just an awesome, awesome album. And I ended up going back, when after I got KSED, or Chaos AD, um, I picked up the single for Dead Embryonic Cells or the EP that had Orgasmatron, the Motorhead cover, as the B-side. And that is really, you know, besides Chaos AD, that's really what kind of led me down the going backwards on their on the path to understanding Sepultura. And I was like, all right, this is cool shit. <laughs> That album, I like you said, that was one you walked into the record store, you knew it was metal from the jump. You did not know how metal it was. Um, I had limited funds in 91. I said I was a senior in high school. Either I was going to take the tape or I wasn't going to have it. So that one I left <laughs> on the shelf. Um, it came out in what? I think in May of that year. Two months later, it was my birthday. A buddy of mine from Europe hit me up and handed me a copy of it for my birthday. Only reason why I got it, but I popped that thing in. I was happy as I could be. I love the album. Um, I went out and bought the single. Next thing I know, there's Orgasmatron. I had no idea that was a Motorhead song. 
I thought that was just another great Sepultura song. A couple of years later, I find out, oh shit, that's Motorhead. Cool. <laughs> so I just thought that was a fun nice. album. I mean, it was Scott Burns. I mean, the thing's just a thrash monster out of Morris Sound. So great album. Imagine you you said like you knew it was a metal album from the from the get go when you see that album cover. But imagine like there's somebody out there that sees that next to like Lady Gaga and like what I bet these are the same kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> they're on the shelf next to each other. They must be the same kind of music. Yeah, they're really cool. Like what's, what's that? Sepultura? Sepultura. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. It's um Yeah, it's definitely not Lady Gaga. <laughs> no. <laughs> all right. Um, where are we at here? Um, I think we all have picked four albums, so we're gonna pick uh, a fifth one and then uh, wrap it up. What do we got next, Matt? Why don't you pick uh, your fifth album? Oh, you said pick five. Cool. I can do this in one shot. I'm gonna do a couple quick honorable mentions. I cannot leave off the list without doing a show in 1991. Um, real quick, Operation Ivy, self-titled. That changed the genre of punk music. You also had Fugazi doing Steady uh, Diet of Nothing was another great album from that year. You had Caius doing Wretch. And another one from my favorites from that era is The Cult doing Ceremony. Great album. Operation Ivy. Operation. Man, that's not even on this list. Yeah, there you go. That's why you brought me out here. <laughs> Operation Ivy slowly dissolved into Rancid. No, I know who they are. I just I don't even see it on the list. That's pretty cool. I remember them. All right, so what's your what's your album that you're picking? What am I picking? Prong, Prove You Wrong. Mm. Fun album, front to start. Put it in. It's a popper. I, li- I like that album. Uh, I like um, Irrelevant Thoughts. I like Un- Unconditional is the big song for me on that one. And then Prove You Wrong, I, I-, I dig. That's a pretty cool album. It's definitely a different style of metal, um, but... You knew it was metal. It's still heavy in that regards, but it, it's definitely kind of got this grooviness it to it. Predated the Pantera groove. There was a groove to that it album. Predate it really? It Pantera didn't have the groove. I don't think Cowboys so. from Hell had the groove. Oh, yeah, groove Pantera. Oh, yeah, Cowboys is groove. <laughs> Pure groove. So I haven't heard this album since I was in, I think, elementary school. Um, but I I do remember it. And, uh, man, I, I feel like I need to go back and listen to it again because uh, I remember a, a friend of mine, Andreas, was a big, big fan of Prong. So um, it's one I'm going to have to revisit. It's definitely, I mean, okay, it's it's not super heavy in terms of, like, heaviness of a, of a metal album, but it it's definitely groovy uh, in regards to something like a Pantera, almost like a white zombie groove. Yeah. kind of thing and that and that's what's really cool like irrelevant thoughts i mean there's some it's like some i don't want to say primus elements into it but there's a lot of bass you know slapping going on there's a lot of groovy bass in there unconditional is just a really cool song um it's got a great melody to it and prove you wrong is another one of those like a, it's like a choppy start song start stop kind of song but it's very cool um I you know I don't really remember too much of the rest of the album because I hadn't I haven't listened to it in forever, but it is definitely one of those albums that I think you'll like if you go back and listen to it. It's one of those that just fell through the cracks of the years. Mm-hmm. All right, so for my last one, I'm gonna pick Metal Church, The Human Factor. Um, so this was a My Cow album. I think it's it's really overlooked. Metal Church has kind of a weird history with you know changing lineups and. Um, 
I think the first album may be probably the the most recognizable to a lot of people, but definitely go through their catalog. We talked about them a while back uh, with, you know, the Blessing in Disguise. Um, I can't remember all the ones we talked about, but I remember um, The Human Factor. You have Mike Howell vocals. Uh, it's... Man, it's it's actually a really enjoyable album from beginning to end. Uh, the the tra- main track, Human Factor, uh, In Due Time, The Final Word. I mean, th- there's a lot of good stuff on here. And unfortunately, I think it was last year or the year before he passed away. Um, Mike Howe, I believe, um, passed away. It was actually last year in 2021. In- 2021, yeah. Um, excellent singer, great guy. A lot of people had only just wonderful words to say about him. It's really too bad. And, uh, this is a great album to have a, you know, a a record of his, his singing ability. Metal Church was a band that was destined to be huge and record companies got in the way again is one of those yeah. one of those bands like uh, we were talking about you know a few weeks ago a few episodes ago about how record companies can screw a band over and you know they were on electro so so first they released their their first album metal church independently it gets picked up by electra gets remastered it goes out it's really good the second album is a, a very overproduced, slick album. It's still kind of thrashy. Uh, that's the dark. It's got some good songs on it, but then they have issues with David Wayne, and so David Wayne departs. Now they got a new singer. They put out Blessing in Disguise, and the 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 music kind of changes. There's a there's a different vibe, and obviously when you have a new singer, a new songwriter involved, things start to change. And got a little more progressive. They they did definitely get a little bit more progressive. And then this album comes out. Um, this album is just like they totally flipped the script. They went totally raw. Um, mm-hmm. This is a really, really raw recording, almost demo like in, in some cases. Um, and the, the vocals are way up front in the mix. And it's like, you know, Mike Howe is right in your face. And the 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 songs are very, very personal to some degree um the human factor just talking about how music has changed so much from from being an an organic thing to being more of a i'm stealing a sample from here um you know it's electronic here it's not real um and it just becomes you know it's the loss of the human factor when it comes to music Date with poverty. I mean, talking about he's basically piss poor. It's just a really weird, very in-your-face album. It's n- a lot of social issues, but brought in in a way that was clever and not just smacking you in the face with it. Right. You know, Flee from reality. The final word. You know, that was back in '91. There was a big flag burning controversy. So, like that was that was addressing that issue. So, you know, really mature album. Um, I would say along the lines of, of kind of what Megadeth was doing around the same time where, you know, really stating opinions on culture. Yeah, def- definitely. Um, stating their opinion on culture. Uh, what, what did you think of it, Matt? Never heard it. 
You never heard it? <laughs> I gotta be honest with you. Nope. Never. Wow. I was never a big metal church fan. Um, random fact that was the first CD I ever owned was a metal church CD, but oh. I was never a big fan of the band, so I never really followed them, never got into it. There was a lot of other releases on my radar at that point. Mm-hmm. It was just one yeah. I never got around to. Yeah. Well, this is one I definitely would suggest going back and listening to because sure. like for me when I first heard the first album, it was it was cool. Like I but it just didn't kind of click with me. But then I heard this album and this is my favorite Metal Church album. Oh, I'm about it, then I'll check it out. Cool. Um so I'm going to end this off with an album that most everyone's going to say is not metal. Um but in 1991 there was there was just such a, I guess, a crossover of things. So the album that I'm picking for for my last album is Red Hot Chili Peppers' Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And yes, everyone's going to say this. That's not metal. Well, you know why? It's still a, a hard rock, for the most part, a hard rock album. Um, it's got some really interesting songs on here. You talk about eclectic. Um, it is. Oh, yeah. It is extremely eclectic. Yeah, to start off with a song like The Power of Equality, um, it is it's definitely, you, you, it's in the rock realm, the hard rock realm. And then you go into a song like If You Have to Ask, which is not <laughs> in, in the rock realm per se. Um, but song number five to me is probably my favorite Red Hot Chili Peppers song, a song called Suck My Kiss. And that song, it's not metal, but man, it is heavy. And it's just got this killer bass line. It is just, it's just in your face. Um, I love that song. And the funny thing is that when the song ends, it goes into one of the most quietest songs you could think of <laughs> with I Could Have Lied. But I, I Could Have Lied is just such a funny song because, you know, he's cursing throughout the song and it's just just a funny a funny song to me the album is great i mean give it away under the bridge are big songs everyone kind of knows those songs um it's a really really eclectic album um but i love it uh it was it was what turned me on to the red hot chili peppers and in all reality it was hard to go backwards on red hot chili peppers because it was such a different style of music um Going forward, they kind of went more along the lines of the under the bridge, give it away kind of realm. Uh, and they've obviously, you know, everyone kind of knows them from now. They've had this incredible success and they're, they're coming back with a, a John Frusciante. They joined the band again for the second or third time. And they've kind of tried to get back to that old school way of of writing songs that kind of have a similar sound. I think it's missing the mark a little bit right now, but um, you, anyone who's, who's got of anything into, into rock has got to listen to this album and, and, and understand the eclecticness of it is, is what is the appeal to this album. Uh, ooh, I remember buying that album, walking home, popping it in the Walkman on my way home. I was a big fan of mother's milk. Um, like you said, the album, it was hard for you to go backwards. It was hard for me to go forward. It was a very eclectic, like you said, collection of music that took me a long time to get into. Um, if I never hear Suck My Kiss again, it's fine. Um, if I never hear Give It Away again, <laughs> See, it's that I can understand, because Give It Away is all over the radio. Absolute, Suck My Kiss wasn't... It's still all over the radio. Suck My Kiss? Absolutely. On what station do you hear that? 
Miami radio. Wow. Okay. Well, there you go. That's all you need to know. Um, but to me, that was Red Hot Chili Peppers learning how to make the recipe. They figured it out. They put out there, and that's what they've gone with for the last 25, 30 years is doing your songs like that. Um, your give it aways. Your Under the Bridge. That's another one. Great song. It kept them relevant for years. Um, that was on the, the Conehead soundtrack, correct? Uh, was it? I don't remember. I think it's on the... Co- Doesn't matter. Whatever. <laughs> Great album. <laughs> um, so Red Hot Chili Peppers was was not really on my radar before. And I think the imagery, the things that you saw with, with uh, that particular album, um, with them on MTV, etc., it really kind of brought them into the forefront. Unfortunately, you know, John Frusciante would, would leave the band not too long after and it wouldn't be until californication when they would really reestablish themselves because what they did with one hot minute wasn't too great um but yeah this is this is a really interesting album i mean it's hard not to define it as at least rock or hard rock even though it's got funk and rap and all kinds of other stuff in it um but yeah it's no denying it's it's a it's a landmark in the genre absolutely i mean red, red hot chili peppers has been a staple for for the last 30 something years uh maybe even 40 years if you if you were a fan before mother's milk so um kudos to them that they're, they're, they're still making you know pretty good music to this to this day um all right so we have done 15 albums we've highlighted um five each um but there are so many that came out in 1991 and i'm just going to go over a real quick list of some of the albums that we didn't touch upon that came out uh in 91 um infectious grooves which was um the singer from suicidal tendencies and rob trujillo from metallica before he was in metallica released a funk metal album the plague that makes your booty move it's the infectious grooves awesome album uh Kicks, L.A. Guns, um, the first album from Malevolent Creation, which was a death metal band out of Florida. Um, a band called Mind Funk released their album, Mind Funk. That's uh, notable because it had the drummer um, Reed St. Mark from Celtic Frost uh, was their drummer. Motorhead's 1916 album came out that year. Um, Mr. Big, Mr. Bungle. So two Misters came out that year. Mr. Bungle's debut album. Um, obviously, we did not highlight Nevermind, but we did mention that Nevermind came out that year. Primus, Sailing the Seas of Cheese. Overkill's Horoscope album was an awesome, awesome album. If, you, if anyone's listening, get that album. It is a great album. Um, Kane Roberts, uh, notable um, for being Alice Cooper's guitarist, and he was this big workout guy, so he was this huge buff dude. Comes out with this album, the guitar look. He had a guitar that looked like a machine gun, and it probably looked like a tiny toy in his hands because he's so big. Um, David Lee Roth uh, with Little Ain't Enough, Queen's Innuendo, and they also released Queen's Greatest Hits Part Two, and uh, shit. Temple of the Dog, another Seattle band that came out that was basically a mix of Pearl Jam and. The Soundgarden, um, with their tribute album to, um, oh, what was his name? The guy who passed away from... Andrew Wood? Andrew Wood. Yeah, from, Absolutely. Uh, what was the band's name? Oh. Uh, Mother Love Bone. Mother Love Bone. I kept thinking, I'm thinking um, Malfunction, which was his Before first Before that, band, absolutely. Right? So, and also, 1991 led way to John Karabi's first album with The Scream. The Scream. Uh, which, which is the only album they would release uh, on a major label. Ugly Kid Joe's debut album came out. 
White Lion's last album came out. So there was a ton of albums. Motley Crue's Decade of Decades. Typo Negative. Typo Negative came out. I did not put that on my list, but yes, I remember Typo Negative came out. Um, Paradise Lost with Gothic came out, and that was that was really the first what would be considered Gothic metal album. So yeah, so there was so much. You had Alice Cooper with Hey Stupid, Slayer's Decade of Aggression. You had the live albums coming out, Poison with their Swallow This Live. You had Rat and Roll. I mean, there was a lot that year. And also, there were two breakups that year. Death Angel would break up and reform in 2001. So that was, uh, what, 10 years later, they reformed. And Whitesnake broke up that year and reformed in 2002. So it was quite an interesting year, um, I have to say. All right. So that brings us to our big four, and we are picking our big four albums from 1991. So, Matt, you're our guest. You get to go first again. Cool. Um, It's probably not going to be that big of a surprise, 1991. I think we've mentioned all the albums we're all going to talk about anyways. Number four for me is going to be Slave to the Grind. Great album talked about earlier. Number three, Bad Motor Finger. That's a fun one start to finish. Number two, Kenneth Dean, here you go. I'll say it, Metallica. <laughs> and my number one favorite album in 1991 is going to be Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 because it is one album. No, it's not. Yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got, Chris? Uh, so my number four, and it's just for um, the impact that it had on me, etc. I don't, I, like I said, I don't plan to ever listen to the album again, really, is uh, Metallica. Um, it was just huge. It was it was a great album. Um, if you haven't heard it, I'd be surprised. Um, my number three is Van Halen for Unlawful Car- Carnal Knowledge. Um, I loved the album when it came out. Uh, I mean, I, I I had heard it when I was a kid because my parents liked or my dad liked Van Halen. Um, so it was just one of those that I I remember growing up with and always liked this the songs, especially the first few. Uh, my number two is Skid Row, Slave to the Grind. For all the reasons we mentioned earlier, it's heavier, it's it, it's bombastic, it's awesome, um, and it's Skid Row's best album. Um, my number one is Death Human. Uh, it's hard for me not to pick that. It's one of my favorite Death albums. Not my favorite, but it's pretty close. And uh, it just did so much for, for Death Metal as a whole that uh, just Chuck... Amazing, amazing musician, and uh, miss him to this day. Very good, very good. I like that. I like both your lists, um, but I like both the fact that both your lists include Metallica. <laughs> Metallica's album to me is kind of like elementary school. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot. I have fond memories of it, but I ain't doing it again. Hey. I'm with you on there. All right, so my big four 1991 albums are number four, Armored Saint, Symbol of Salvation. Uh, We already talked about that album, so nothing else left to say. Number three, we didn't talk about, Saigon Kick's debut album, Saigon Kick, a Florida band. Matt and I both kind of knew who they were and were happy for the fact that they got signed. That album is amazing. We have referenced it before uh, on on previous episodes, so get check. Check that out when you get a chance. Number two, Pearl Jam's 10. Uh, We already talked about that album. And for me, of course, it has to be Metallica. uh, The Black Album being the number one album for me in 1991. Awesome. Awesome list from from all of us. That that thing that was pretty cool talking about 1991. For anybody who has not 
listened to any of these albums, you have to give yourself a chance to listen to a lot of these albums because these are amazing. But I'm pretty sure most metalheads have heard just about everything we've talked about today. All right. Well, that's our big four albums from 1991. And I once again want to thank my best friend, Matt, for sitting in with us. Guys, thank Thank you for having me again. This has been great. I've had fun doing these shows with you. Keep it going. I'll be back. All right. And I also want to remind everyone to tell your friends about us and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget you can interact with us by commenting on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can DM us as well. If you listen to us on YouTube, be sure to leave us a comment, or if you want, send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com. And remember to tune in to the next episode where we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth, Matt, and myself, stay safe, and always turn it up to 11. See ya!